Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports. I am your host, Ryan Brown. And on this episode, I am joined by none other than Jonathan Sullivan and Lil Mike. Fellas, how are we doing? Doing pretty good, Ryan. How about yourself? Oh, we're we're out here, Jonathan. Doing well. As always, as always. So, if I've got these two on, we're probably talking something along the lines of basketball. And quite right you would be if you thought that. We are going to be recapping the NBA draft that went down just a few weeks ago, as well as the early free agency period, all the developments that have just gone off, basically a bonanza of sorts, uh, post-draft in the free agency period. So let's let's get to it. We'll get started with our NBA draft recap. So I will be perfectly honest and upfront. I could not watch this live. I caught absolutely none of it live. Uh, I had a wiffle ball outing to attend, but I did get to recap it and kind of watch it back. And I was amazed to hear and see that Paulo Banchero, the forward from Duke, my, my Duke boy, went number one overall to the Orlando Magic. And I say that because the, the news, just every mock draft you could, you could find, pretty much all the news outlets pointed to Auburn forward Jabari Smith Jr. being the presumptive favorite to be the number one overall pick. So the Magic clearly kept their decision close to the vest. And I personally, I don't hate it, but it was a little bit shocking to see that. The top three was not really as much of a surprise. Uh, it was just the order. Chet Holmgren, unsurprisingly, going number two to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then Jabari Smith going to the Rockets at three. So, Jonathan, I will start with you. Just just for the first three picks, what were your thoughts when you heard Paulo Banchero go number one to the match? Uh, um, it didn't really surprise me because I quite literally, Ryan, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I think what Orlando was thinking with Banchero, a bigger, small forward, kind of a four, maybe hybrid um, out of Duke, they look at him and they say, hopefully this guy is following the path that our King Jason Tatum followed. Mm. And they're saying like, we think this guy comes out of the same program. He is like a similar size. He's not as good of a shooter as Tatum was in college, but you know, he can work on that. And I think they're, they, they see that it's a wings league and they say, you know what? We think this guy could be a, we think this guy could be, you know, Jason Tatum light, at least at the beginning. And that's uh, that's what they're hoping for. Mike, what were your thoughts on the order of the first three picks? I thought it was a little bit surprising just because for a long time we had heard, oh, they're zoning in on Jabari Smith. This is the guy they want. It's going to go Smith, Holmgren, Bancaro, and that's the order. And then the Magic came out and took Bancaro. I, I think in that aspect, it was a little bit surprising in terms of the quality of the pick. I think they made the right call. Bencaro is the safest of those three. He has the best NBA ready game. He looks like a 15 points per game scorer right now, um, just walking into the league and he has an NBA ready body. 
Uh, as for the other two, I think the Thunder were locked in on Holmgren as soon as they knew the Magic weren't. And uh, I'll be, if I'm being honest, I completely forget who had the third pick. Was it? Don't tell me. No, I completely forget. But whoever it was, they they scooped up Smith, and there's nothing wrong with him. He's a great consolation prize. So. All in all, um, kind of a chalk top three, just a little bit of a surprise as to who went one, but I think the Magic made the right call. That would be one, the Houston Rockets, who selected third, Mike. So uh, tough scene there, but nothing nothing too no, – no, no harm, no foul there. Uh, looking kind of down the line there, I, I do agree with what you both have said. And I think that Paulo Benchero probably has the higher ceiling just because this is an offensive league nowadays. It's a, it's a shooting league. And even though Benchero might not have had the blowaway numbers, uh, having watched him very much play in all of his games in Duke, there, there's, he can get hot very quickly. And when he does, it is it is, he just rain makes it rain and he he'll make it rain from anywhere. Three point mid range, get to the rim. He can score at all three levels. I'm not saying Jabari Smith can't. And honestly, Jabari is probably the better athlete of the two, but I think the, the magic just like Jonathan said, saw what he could be down the road. Maybe, maybe Jason Tatum is a, is a good comp. So I think they, they decided to run with it. I think the one of the three that'll be the most interesting to watch is Chet Holmgren. This is a guy in a classic verbiage where seven foot one, that's, that's his listed height, seven, seven wingspan. So he's going to be a defensive unit, but he, he's not even 200 pounds soaking wet. This, so I, I, don't, I do not know how this is going to go. Like he could easily be an absolute force in, in the paint on the defensive end, rim protecting, just swatting shots left and right. But he could also get bullied, like bullied, battered and bruised to the point where his body wears down quickly. So I'm going to be keeping my eyes on the development of Chet Holmgren uh, as he goes on. Because if, if he is able to kind of lean out and kind of build up his body to – sort of like Durant and Giannis have over the, over time. I, I, I think the Thunder have a home run here. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but I, I think Chet is, could be the real deal. And he's already showing it off in summer league, breaking the, the single game blocks record. Yeah. I mean, he definitely has tremendous upside. I'm very skeptical just because he is, such a thin player, but as we've seen in summer league, he has all the tools if he's utilized the right way. I think as a number four um, playing at the power forward, he could be a legitimate star player in the NBA. Um, Very lanky, very, you know, how how do I want to put this? Very capable of playing on the wings, but not so down low dominant just because he's tall. He he doesn't have the muscle to to make it down low. Mm -hmm. And I think he can cover well on the wings. I think his speed is there. I think he's shown that. I I just don't know that he has the capability to build up to be an NBA five. Um, And I think he will struggle with the weight issues in his rookie year. You, you look at, I got a guy like Giannis who was a similar size when he first came into the league, he, his game obviously wasn't at the level of Chets, but he definitely was a little bit too skinny um, to be a dominant player right away. So I think we'll see some weight issues with Chet, but 
with regards to his game, I think you're right. I think that he's got what it takes to be um, a potential star in this league uh, playing at the power forward position. Mm -hmm. Now, looking a little bit further down the line here, the Sacramento Kings picked at four and everyone was saying how it should have been Jaden Ivey just based off of talent. But there were several reports out there that Ivey and his camp did not want anything to do with the Sacramento Kings. Now, how can you blame a guy for not wanting to be associated with a franchise that has been basically irrelevant for the past 20 years? I I, I get it. But it was a little surprising to see the Kings just default to the next best player on the board in Keegan Murray, the forward from Iowa, who is probably ready to just slide in to a, a, a high role for the Kings, but doesn't, I don't know if he has the same kind of potential or ceiling that, that Jaden Ivy does and Jaden Ivy being probably the best guard in the draft. So I think the Pistons at five getting Jaden Ivey and being able to pair him with Cade Cunningham for however long they stick together. I, I think that's a, that's a huge get for the Pistons. And I don't know if the Kings are going to regret it, but I don't know how that situation would have played out. So when you guys saw Keegan Murray come off the board at four, followed by Ivy at five, Jonathan, how did, how did you think about that? Well, I did watch Keegan Murray play uh, probably more than any of the other guys that went in the top of the draft. Uh, mm-hmm last year as a Hawks guy. Um, but doesn't, I'd seen mock drafts with him, like actually slipping. Like he was originally like mock, like top five. And then I saw some mocks like leading up to the draft. They had him going like seven. I even saw one with him going like 10. Um, but obviously that wasn't the case. So him going four, I mean, it, it makes sense in the sense that you said he can slide right in and like the Kings one position where they actually have like someone that's like, good besides maybe Sabonis is at guard so I can understand you know the Ivy Fox I don't know you know I don't know exactly how well they would play together if they were on the same team but you know De'Aaron Fox is a building block for them um but Keegan Murray should be a good player and um I don't really I wasn't that surprised um that he went that high the dude just scores like he there's nothing really that like jumps out about him like when you watch him play and then like you'll look up and he'll have like 17 points and it's the second quarter you know Hmm. now mike what were your thoughts did you think the Kings should have just stuck with ivy and and tried to make it work or you think they made the right move and going with the next best available in keegan i think they made the right move um I mean, it's hard to fault any team when they take the best available player. This is a star-driven league, and once you draft a guy there, tune can change really quickly. So I think that they uh, – I, I would say that they made the right call by taking him. It's it, it's pretty easy to turn a guy around and just convince him that uh, he, he's in the right spot and doing what's best for him. It, and I think, that, uh, I think that the Kings did that, and that was the right call. Mm-hmm. Now, outside of the top five – kind of looking six through 14, the rest of the lottery, and then the rest of the first round. We'll, we'll start with the, the back end of the lottery. Do you guys feel like there was a, a steal or a, a particular player that you think is, is going to end up being a bust for where he was taken? 
Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. I think, I don't know that I can label anyone a bust yet. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm skeptical on chat just because of the size issues. But if we're talking about a steal, pains me to say this, but it's another Duke boy, Mark Williams, going 15th overall. Um, dude was a shot-blocking machine in college. He struggled with foul issues, but similar game to Robert Williams. I think that could end up being a really good pick for the Hornets. He's a physical presence down low, good rim runner, um, should play up defensively at the NBA level. His, his floor is a backup big man in this league, and you know you obviously want more than that, but you know it's hard to get greedy. And when you can get a player of that quality in the middle of the first round, somebody who you know is going to be a rotational piece, it's, it's hard to fault that kind of, uh, that kind of move. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, any steal or bust that stuck out to you? Uh, I think he'll probably end up being a bust just because of where he was drafted. But uh, I think Johnny Davis going at 10 to Washington, I think could be a bit of a steal. You know, he didn't shoot that great from three, but this guy is a hooper and he's a winner. Like Wisconsin preseason uh, wasn't even picked to like make the tournament. And they ended up being a three seed. They ended up really surprising teams throughout the big 10 play. Um, I think they won. I want to say they won or they, they shared the big 10 regular season title. Um, and he was a huge reason why he jumped from seven to 19 points from his freshman to sophomore year. And all I kept hearing was Johnny Davis, Johnny Davis. And, you know, there's something to be said about, uh, you know, great, like good winning college players. Like I know that people harp on talent, you know, intangible size, et cetera. But I don't know. There's something about the winner when you win in college. I feel like some of those guys do end up translating. Some of them don't for sure, but some of them do. And I think he might be a steal at a 10. I would agree. And I'm for mine, I'm kind of looking at Jalen Duran going to, I think he ended up in Detroit with all those picks getting dealt there. Uh, but he was arguably the best, like pure center in the draft. And he almost fell out of the lottery. So for Detroit to kind of take a, a swing there with him, and to be able to pair him with Cade and Jaden Ivey. And you, you've brought in guys like Nerlin Noel and uh, was it Alec Burks from the Knicks in that salary dump the Knicks had. So he'll have some guys that he can learn under. And I, I think Jalen Duran could end up being a steal there for the Pistons at 13. And they could actually have like a really good young up-and-coming core for the future if they all develop well. Now, I, I also think there are some question marks with, with Duran. I, I think it's, it's more so a motor thing. I'm not sure kind of, cause he, he had some games where he kind of got into foul trouble and checked out in Memphis uh, and his team accordingly struggled. But when he was on and even without Emily Bates at Memphis, when he was on Jalen Duran was able to carry that team and was a double, double machine. So I think that's a, that's definitely a guy that I think can have a, is a, is a guy that can definitely be a steal, but I also wouldn't be terribly surprised if he ended up busting. I think it's much, much more likely he's a steal, but again, 
I, I think there there is a kind of a high ceiling, a little bit lower of a floor than you might have thought. Uh, now the Celtics, after trading Derek White for Derek White, uh, had to trade their 2022 first round pick to the Spurs to make that deal happen. So no first round picks this year for the Boston Celtics. However, they did have their own. Uh, they did have a second round pick, and they took point guard J.D. Davison from Alabama with their lone pick. Do you guys, do either of you foresee him kind of fitting into the Celtics game plans for next year? Or do you think it's kind of like a, a guy that will end up playing in the G League up in Maine for the next year or two and, and maybe down the road he, he finds his way into the rotation? Or do you think he's a guy that could try and, and push Peyton Pritchard for a rotation spot? I uh, think he'll, he'll play a lot of minutes next year uh, for the Maine Celtics. I I really don't think he's going to, especially with how deep the Celtics are, they've gotten even deeper in free agency. I know we're going to get into that a little bit more, so I don't want to spoil it, but Mm -hmm. I really don't. I mean, second round picks to begin with late second round picks in the fifties. I mean, you got to hope this guy is like end of the bench. Like that's like his, like that would be like considered a win. Like when you're picking in the fifties of the NBA draft, like if you were like a, bench guy 10th 11th man can play like six or seven seasons in the league um and you know play some minutes when people get hurt but i just think with the celtics depth and especially their guard depth if he was a big man that would be one thing but with their guard depth i just i do not see him the only way i see him playing is if they're you know really hurt or their record is so good that they're resting players like down the stretch in like April and stuff and the G league season's over, then maybe he'll play then. But I, if he plays meaningful minutes next year, he's either way exceeded my expectations or something has gone horribly wrong with the Celtics. Mike. Um, I think he, he might make the back end of the roster because they have some spots open. I don't foresee him playing a significant role, though. I, I agree with Jonathan. If he plays significant minutes next year, something's gone really wrong. I, I think they drafted him knowing that he was a guy who could maybe fill that one of those back end of the bench spots. But I, I think it's pretty likely that he sees some significant time in Maine next year. Yeah, and they definitely will have some roster spots to fill, and he could definitely be one of those guys. And we'll get into why they have some roster spots to fill here in just a little bit. So that's, that's kind of our thoughts on the draft. Nothing too crazy. There were plenty of trades. Uh, I know the player that I mentioned, Jalen Duran had was traded. His draft rights were traded to three different teams in the same night. So there was definitely some intrigue and some, some chaos, but nothing like no like blockbuster deal or anything like that. Uh, so, uh, Paulo goes number one to Orlando, Chet two to Oklahoma City, and then Jabari Smith three to Houston. Let's move on to free agency. This is where the fireworks really have gotten going, as NBA free agency typically does. But this year, I, I don't, I don't know. Does I think it might? I, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment, but this. This free agency period just got off to a absolute raucous start. A couple days before it opened up, the free agency period opened up. 
Kyrie Irving officially opted into his $36.5 million player option because he could not find, or him and the team could not find anyone to kind of do a sign and trade with. So he opted in, and pretty much as soon as he did that, Kevin Durant officially requests a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. And the fallout from that is that if Durant is gone, there's no way Kyrie's going to stay. So seemingly, the Brooklyn Nets are now stuck in a really interesting spot here where they have two of the best players in the league that seemingly do not want to be there anymore. And so now they have to either have a completely disgruntled team or try and find suitable trade partners for both of those players. So, Mike, I will get your thoughts here first. The Nets seem to be fully imploding here. So where what, what were your thoughts when this all started? And what, 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 do, what should we make of it? We shouldn't even be surprised in the least by this. I mean, you put those two egos in the same locker room. Can you really be all that shocked that it didn't work out? Like Kevin Durant, it, it's, it's ever since he left the Thunder, he's just been toxic everywhere he's gone. He, he's let the world get in his head. He's engaged with fans left and right. It's ridiculous. And the funny part is he's not even the worst guy on their team. Kyrie Irving's even worse. The guy, he's one of the most talented basketball players we've ever seen but he doesn't want to play basketball. I've talked to Jonathan about this off air, and we agree that Kyrie Irving only plays basketball for the attention. He likes the attention. He doesn't do this because he enjoys playing basketball. If he could retire today and make the money and get the attention, he'd do it, but he can't because he's just not that interesting of a person. He goes out and makes outrageous takes and does outrageous stuff just to draw attention. Now, given he's done good stuff in the community, I understand that, but still he he's just a ridiculous drama king and it, it shows it's, you know, it, it gets tiresome after a while. And quite frankly, I don't think we should even be remotely shocked that the Brooklyn Nets project didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Jonathan. Well, I honestly think that Kevin Durant obviously requested trade Kyrie Irving wants out, but the more this lingers on, the more I think there's a chance that they're just going to be back next year. The both of them. And the Brooklyn Nets are just going to try and run it back because the Brooklyn Nets are dealing in a position of strength here in the sense that they don't have to trade Durant. They have him under contract for the next four seasons. And they also have no first round picks like Houston owns basically all their first round picks going forward. So, and they just trade a first round pick for Royce O'Neal too. So, I don't envision them trading Durant unless it is like an unbelievable. They need like at least, you know, some young guy. Like, I mean, I know teams could do it like Toronto comes to mind. They've been kind of sneaking up in the, in the um, rankings, like with the Scotty Barnes and Siakam plus a bunch of picks or something like that, which I guess could hypothetically happen. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of times in the NBA, like the trade request comes and then the trade kind of like happens like, like quickly, um, you know, sometimes it's drawn out, but I don't know. There's just something, it just feels like nothing's like really happening. I mean, I'm sure tomorrow, you know, when this, before this pod even gets released, like Wolves will drop a bomb that Durant's traded like tonight when I'm sleeping, but 
I don't know. I just and I hand up. I don't want to cross sports, but I did also think Mookie Betts might not get traded from the Red Sox the longer that drew on, and it, and he ended up getting traded. But the situation's a little different in the sense that Durant's under team control for so much longer. Um, that I don't know. I just I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's getting traded, and I think there's a less than zero percent chance that it's really Brooklyn running it back next year with a hypothetical big three of Ben Simmons, Kyrie and Durant, which I think Kyrie will implode no matter what he won't play the whole year, but I think it's possible. They're still all on the team next, uh, next season. So you bring up an excellent point and I kind of want to get your thoughts on that. So you brought up that you think that they might end up both staying in Brooklyn. So, Mike, where do you think they will both be playing next season? Do you think that the trades are tra- the them both of them being traded is a foregone conclusion, or are you kind of siding with Jonathan in that you think there is a chance they might actually stay, or at least one of them might? I think there's a shot that they are both still there. I don't think Brooklyn's going to budge for less than what it feels is a is an equitable offer and they shouldn't budge for what they feel is less than an equitable offer. They're, they're both under contract. They both agreed to play for the Brooklyn Nets and Brooklyn has every right to get exactly what they feel they deserve for these two guys with that, um, with, with them being under contract. I think they're going to try to do everything they can to get them out of there because I don't think they want to deal with this kind of situation going into next year, but it's very feasible that they are both playing for the Nets if I had to guess where they end up, Durant probably would end up on the Raptors just because they have win now players. They, uh, Woj just said that the team that could make it happen the easiest. And it's the only way it happens probably without a multi-team deal. And I don't see other teams trying to help Kevin Durant move to one of their competitors. That just doesn't make any sense. As for Kyrie, um, if he's not playing for Brooklyn, it's going to be the Lakers because LeBron's one of the only people who can put up with, what Kyrie does off the court and still keep him in line on the court. So if they're not there, Durant's a Raptor and Irving's a Laker. Man, if Kyrie Irving is a Laker and gets to play with LeBron and AD, that would be just wild. I don't, I don't even want to know how they pull that off because you still have Russell Westbrook who accepted his $47 million player option under contract with the Lakers. He would obviously have to go to in exchange for Kyrie to make the money work, but the Lakers don't have much in terms of draft picks either. So I don't, I don't know. I even want to know how that would, that would work, but that seems to be the only landing spot. I I do agree with you, Mike. If if it's not the Lakers, I I don't think Kyrie will, will play. Uh, So that'll be an interesting one to watch for sure. Uh, That was not the only trade talk that happened right as the the free agency period was getting underway we also found out just a day or two before the free agency period that the Atlanta Hawks had agreed to trade Danilo Gallinari as well as three first round picks and a and a future pick swap for all-star point guard DeJounte Murray from the San Antonio Spurs. So Spurs are just clearing house and the Hawks sent a pretty big package over to the Spurs here for Murray. So the Hawks pair Trey Young, 
with DeJounte Murray, Clint Capella, John Collins. Do you guys think that this makes the Hawks a, a contender in the Eastern Conference? I don't think this puts them in, into the discussion of uh, NBA championship conversation, but they did make the Eastern Conference Finals just two years ago. So, I, I do, Mike. I'll start with you. Do you, do you think this this makes makes or breaks the Hawks at all? Or I don't think it makes or breaks them. I think it significantly improves their roster. I mean, you look at that team, and you know, for as good as Trey Young is, and for all that he can offer on the offensive end. You know, we know how bad he is defensively. He's one of the worst-graded defensive players in the entire league. So they clearly needed help in the backcourt, and Jante Murray gives you that. He's everything that Marcus Smart is, except he can handle the ball a little bit better. He's a menace on the defensive end. He'll guard your your opponent's number one. Um, and as we saw last year, he was a first-time All-Star, so he adds some some playmaking to that backcourt and kind of allows Trey to play a little bit more off the ball and kind of run around three-point line in a Steph Curry-ish manner as you know, Trey is the closest thing we've ever really seen to what Stephen Curry does. So I, I think it's a good addition for that team. I question, you know, how much of a difference it makes in what is a ridiculously deep conference. But for a team in a clear-cut win-now mode with Trey Young, John Collins, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter still there, you know, it, it made sense to cut out some of the fat in Gallinari and Herter who could shoot but provide no real effort on the other end. And to use some of those picks and go get a proven NBA talent who Trey Young clearly wanted to bring in. Jonathan, your thoughts? Uh, I think it can, you know, if you see an injury to like Joel Embiid or something, it might push the Hawks into like potentially having a home court for the first round of the playoffs. But it certainly doesn't put them into contender in my in my eyes. You know, they'll be a a decent team, a tough team in the regular season, but. You know, it makes them a little bit better, but it makes them it brings them from like, you know, a B B minus team to a B B plus team. I don't think it's, you know, be all end all, like, oh my god, the Hawks are nasty now, but they definitely got better. Um, but it's not league altering, um, in my opinion. Mm. Now the first big free agency signing that I kind of want to get into uh is the Portland Trailblazers, they agree to extend or bring back their breakout guard and Fernice Simons. I hope I didn't butcher that uh, to a four year, $100 million contract extension. Now I find this to be kind of crazy, but I guess that's just the, the era of the NBA that we live in that a guy that literally has maybe one year of a track record of being able to be a productive scorer. He averaged 17 points per game last year for the Blazers who were dealing with a plethora of injuries across the board. And he immediately gets 25 mil AAV. Is this, is this just a product of the, the era that we live in, in terms of the NBA or did the Blazers overpay to just, try and keep a young up and coming guy in town, Jonathan. I just think it's a product of the league. I mean, I, I think the NBA has their TV contract coming up in like two or three years or something like that. And you think guys are getting big money now. Like it's going to be insane what these guys are getting once the new, the newer TV deal signed. And I just think this is the price. It's just the market dictates the value. You saw a similar contract going out. 
to Jalen Brunson, who I would say is a similar caliber player to Simons at this at this stage in their careers. And I actually saw Simons play in person. I went to the Celtics Trailblazers last year, and he was really good. So I think he's definitely up and coming, and it's just the market dictates the wages. I don't really think it was an overpay. I just I just think it was what the uh, what the market market dictated, and I don't think Portland is anywhere close to competing for a championship. But he's a nice little player, and he he got what what might be a, a steal in a couple of years. Um, you know, the way he was trending up this year. We'll have to see. Hmm. Mike, any thoughts? Uh, I think I was a little bit shocked at first that he got that much money, but he's earned every penny of it. I mean, he is a phenomenal talent and the clear CJ McCollum replacement in Portland. Um, and I think that is the new NBA. Like Jonathan said, it's, you know, guys do this. And the next thing you know, um, do this for one year. Next thing you know, they're getting these massive contracts. So good on him for getting his money. Um, I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of as the years go on. And when that new TV deal hits, like John was mentioning, 25 million is not going to look like much at all. It's going to be pennies on the dollar. So good on them for locking him up and probably getting, you know, two years of him being expensive, but probably two years of him being relative, relatively cheap to his future market value. Hmm. Now, several players were able to lock up max extensions with their teams. Most notably, you had Bradley Beal, Carl Anthony Towns, Nikola Djokic, John Morant, Devin Booker, Darius Garland, and Zion Williamson all signed max extensions, whether it was the absolute maximum or if it was just the designated rookie extension. Uh, They all got the bag, and I think – I think all were expected. Maybe there was a little bit of, of doubt on whether Bradley Beal would be willing to, to re-up with the Wizards. But outside of that, I don't think there were any surprises with any of those names choosing to re-sign. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that take, Ryan. I, I don't think it was shocking at all to see those guys um, re-up and and get brought back there. They're all clearly massive parts of, of their teams. And uh, I mean, I mean the money they're getting it, it made perfect sense for them all to re up and, and get brought back, especially Beal, who I was reading today has the first um, or has the only true no trade clause in, in the NBA. He has a full no trade. So go on him for getting that. Mm-hmm. Jonathan. Yeah, I wasn't that. Um, that surprise. I mean, most experts had said coming into this offseason that the free agent class was pretty weak this year, uh, just because most of the big names they expected to resign, like like happened. Um, I don't think it was anything surprising. I mean, the the Brooklyn news is, has really been the biggest like news of the offseason, but in terms of like just pure free agents, you know, everyone thought this was going to be a down year for free agency, and I think in terms of like big names moving. Like you've seen in the last couple of years, it's certainly true that this uh, this hasn't lived up to the hype of you know some previous years. Mm-hmm. The one name that has gone on the move via free agency would be Jalen Brunson, who emerged to be a top scorer and playmaker for the Dallas Mavericks. He is headed to New York to join the Knicks on a four-year, one hundred and four million dollar deal. 
And that actually is kind of historic, not because of necessarily the, the length of the contract or the amount of money, but Jalen Brunson becomes the first player in NBA history to sign a nine-figure deal with a new team without ever having made the all-star team before. So a little interesting tidbit there. So Jonathan, do you think that the Knicks, this will, this will work out in their favor? Do you think he's worth it? I think Jalen Brunson is a decent little emphasis on little player, uh, but I don't think he's going to be worth the money in the long run. Um, you know, it just speaks to the market, the free agency class. I mean, if Jalen Brunson is like the top name going off the board in your free agency class, your free agency class is weak. Like, no offense to Jalen Brunson. I mean, he is, a, he is a decent player. I think he's like a three or a four on like a really good team. Um, and he's getting money like a two, basically. So I don't think it's going to work out. I'm surprised that, you know, the Jazz didn't go all in for him considering Danny Ains absolutely adores like little guards that can't play defense. Uh, so we'll see how it turns out. But I, I have a feeling this was an overpayment. I think Danny Ainge has a separate game plan and we'll, as we'll note in just a little bit, Mike, uh, what do you thought? What do you think about Jalen Brunson in New York? Yay or nay? Uh, it's okay. I guess. I mean, I mean, he's, he's a good player. He was one of the better players on the market, obviously, but like, you know, it, he could be a championship three, I guess, but I mean, they're banking big time on RJ Barrett being a championship level one. I don't know that he's that because Randall's a two Brunson's a three. Where's the one. I mean, Brun- with Barrett being the only clear cut guy, if he can't get there, the Knicks are kind of locked into Randall and Brunson on these contracts. And until that TV deal hits, they're not going to have a clear cut path to getting the money for a true number one. So unless news comes out that Kevin Durant says, I actually do want to go play for the New York Knicks, then you know, good for them for trying to stay competitive. But in truth, I still see a team destined for a first-round exit in the postseason. Yeah, uh, I, I pretty much agree with you guys there. But I do think that Jalen Brunson is is really great for for his size at slashing and getting to the paint at rim. He His footwork is impeccable. I know everyone that kind of follows the league like we do kind of – says how he has like the best footwork of anyone in the league in the paint and being crafty and whatnot. But I've, I've watched enough of him and I really do believe that that is true. So if he can kind of come be, if he can develop into a two-way guy and someone that can score on all three levels, I, I really think that he can really, really break out. So that could end up being, uh, a big deal for the Knicks, but I don't think I, I, I am with you guys in that it's not anything to put the Knicks over the top in, into playoff contention. A um, couple other moves before we we kind of hop back into Celtics talk momentarily. We have we saw some other names that hot joined playoff contenders that may or may not be able to provide uh, some big different. I don't I don't want to say. Okay, big difference, maybe not the word, but they, they will play a pivotal role in the, with their new teams. Uh, I know, Jonathan, I believe you actually called this one the last time we spoke on the show. Joe Inglis to the Milwaukee Bucks is a done deal on a one-year contract. Don't know when he'll be back after suffering a torn ACL. 
at the end of January, but if he's able to come back and be the guy that he was for Utah, that is a big get for the Bucks. You've got guys like Nick Batum, who ended up staying with the Clippers on pretty much a, a I think he did a veteran minimum, or, or did he do mid-level? Maybe the, the mid-level? Yeah. All right. Uh, you had Malik Monk decide to move on from the Lakers to sign basically what amounts to a two-year, $19 million deal to join the Kings. I don't think that really plays too much of a role um, in things, but they also, the Lakers, in order to kind of compensate, they brought in Lonnie Walker the fourth, which who had a nice little season for the Spurs last year uh, and brought him in on the mid-level exception. You had Juan Toscano-Anderson leave the Golden State Warriors to join the L.A. Lakers. P.J. Tucker doing a little bit of a Houston reunion of sorts in Philadelphia, joining his former GM now in Philly. He signs there on a three-year, $33 million deal. Tucker was a guy that a lot of people were looking at to kind of round out, provide veteran leadership and depth to their roster. Uh, Kyle Anderson ends up leaving Memphis to go to the Minnesota Timberwolves on a two-year, $18 million deal. It'll be really interesting to see how he fits in there given the, the blockbuster trade that the Timberwolves did with the Jazz, which I think we can go ahead and get right into. Uh, let's, let's, so let's, just, let's just talk about it. The Utah Jazz end up trading Rudy Gobert for a massive haul. That includes Malik Beasley, Pat Beverly, the Jazz's first round, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves' first round pick this year in Walker Kessler, as well as first round picks in 2023, 25, 27, and 2029. So this is an awful lot to give up for a guy that really is just a rim protector, rebound, gobbler, upper, and doesn't really provide anything on offense outside of offensive rebounds and put back dunks. So the, the Timberwolves are, are saying cl- that clearly they think Gobert is the missing piece to their team and will put them into the discussion for Western Conference supremacy. But I don't really think that is the case. Uh, Mike, I'll start with you. What is what does this trade do for the Timberwolves? Well, it allows them to cover for Cat's defensive deficiencies uh, because he is, while, while he is the third best center in the league, he's not very good on the defensive end. And at that position, you need to be when you're playing four games a year against Nikola Jokic and a couple games a year against Joel Embiid and even against guys like DeAndre Ayton having to cover Giannis once in a while. They need someone better defensively. Gobert allows them to gobble up that space inside and kind of allows Cat to expand his game more to the outside and get Weaker's defender on him because Embiid's not going to stretch out to the perimeter to guard him. Jokic isn't going to stretch out to the perimeter to guard him. It, it, it kind of opens up the floor for him more. Obviously, you know, Gobert is, is going to eat up s- some space inside, but he, he can still manage to get out of the way for Cat every once in a while too. So I, I think shoring up their paint defense and kind of allowing them to go with a super big lineup with McDaniels now playing the three 
is an interesting move. I mean, we, we saw the Pelicans try to do this with Davis and Cousins a few years ago, and they did get to the second round. And in today's NBA, there is no death squad Warriors. The Warriors are still the odds on favorite, but there's no clear cut team. So I, I kind of like the move. I, I like experimenting um, for, for the Timberwolves and kind of seeing where this goes. I'm, I'm a big fan of the double big movement. I, I do think they, they did overpay though, to get him, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I definitely think this was an overpay. And depending on how they configure their lineups, it could end up paying off, at least in the regular season. I think they'll definitely be top six, assuming they're able to put all the pieces together. But I, I don't know if this is uh, – I don't know if they're going to be able to get much farther than they did this past year, which was losing in the first round, game seven. Uh, Jonathan, what are your thoughts I just uh, – Utah, right? Yeah? Yeah. Danny Ainge, just – this dude loves to just hoard picks. I mean, it's just <laughs> – it's obvious. This is all he wants to do. He just wants to just hoard picks. And uh, Brad Stevens is the anti-Danny Ainge. I know that this isn't has anything to do with the Celtics, but Gobert, great trade for Danny Ainge. That was a disgusting overpay by Minnesota. And it's probably the main – if Kevin Durant goes back to Brooklyn, that might be the main reason why, is that Ainge destroyed the trade market by what he got for Gobert. Um, I think Donovan Mitchell is is destined to be the next – either him or Bradley Beal is the next disgruntled, you know, superstar, star that's going to request a trade. And I think it's a matter of time before he gets traded, not an if, but more of a when. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's probably this offseason. Maybe next offseason he'll get traded, but I think Utah is going to have to go through a full rebuild. Um, and what they're doing, I just – I don't know. I mean, Windhorst, Windhorst has got me thinking. So <laughs> the whole league's thinking. The- I, I think that Utah is going through, a, going through a rebuild. That's for sure. And I don't think – Mike Conley, for sure, and Donovan Mitchell, probably – um, will not be there to uh, to see the fruits of of whatever becomes of that in whatever three four years. Yes, the uh, it all started with a, a very strange trade: Royce O'Neal getting traded to Brooklyn, as we pointed out earlier, for a 2023 Brooklyn Nets first round pick. But a very strange trade indeed. Nobody really knew why they would do such a thing, but. Now we know it's because Utah is full rebuild. Now let's, let's kind of move on and talk about what the Celtics have done in the free agency period. The, the first thing is that a less on a lesser note is that they were able to, or they plan on at least signing Danilo Gallinari, who is expected to be released and waived from the San Antonio Spurs. And once he does so, his preference is to join the Boston Celtics. It seems like a pretty much a done deal, just waiting on the official pen to paper and to be finalized. So that will provide some pretty good front court depth, at least in the regular season for the Boston Celtics. I don't know how he'll, he'll figure into a playoff rotation given his defensive deficiencies, but at least in the regular season, he will be a great asset for the team. But the big news 
that the Celtics coming out of the offseason so far has been the fact that they went out and traded for Malcolm Brogdon from the Indiana Pacers and the fact that they gave up basically nothing to get Malcolm Brogdon. They, all they had to do was trade Daniel Tice, who they literally brought back in this past uh, trade deadline, Aaron Neesmith, rip Aaron Neesmith, Jonathan, T's and P's for you in the chat, and a 2023 first-round pick that surely won't be very valuable for the Celtics, as well as a couple of non-guaranteed players that will have to have their minimum contracts guaranteed in Nick Stoukas, Malik Fitz, and Juwan Morgan. The trade cannot officially happen till July 9th because of a signing restriction in, I believe it's Fitz's contract, but it's, it's a done deal. The Celtics are bringing in Malcolm Brogdon. They get the, the additional playmaker scoring at point guard position that Brad Stevens said that the team desperately needed to kind of take the team over the top in getting Banner 18. Jonathan, I will start with you. What are your thoughts on Malcolm Brogdon coming to the Boston Celtics? Well, on paper, it is a steal because you traded him, as you said, for Daniel Theus. Uh, some end-of-the-bench pieces, uh, first-round pick next year, and our Lord and Savior, Aaron Eastmith, who just might be the worst shooter I've ever seen step on a basketball court. But it will be interesting to see. I think he's going to be their sixth man. I think if he can stay healthy, realistically, based on his talent, he has a legit chance to win sixth man of the year next year. If he can play, you know, 60 plus games and it just gives them a lot of depth. And I think it's good because smart tends to not be able to play a full season. People say Brogdon isn't able to also play a full season. We'll see what happens with Derek White. He gets, he probably gets banged up a little bit, but all three of these guys, kind of play a very similar style. Brogdon's probably the best offensive player of the, of the bunch. Uh, Smart's probably the best defensive player, and White is kind of just there. But I, I like the pickup. I think it's great that they're adding depth. A ball handler, this is a guy that I he did not shoot great from three last year with the Pacers, but he was like a one with the Pacers. He'll be a, like a four or a five. Even if you want to say that, you know, <clears throat> Smart's going to take more shots than him. And, you know, Big Bob is your fourth option on offense because of his lob threat or whatever. Um, and that Brogdon's going to be a bench guy, obviously. So we'll have to see. But I think it was a steal. I think it's a great pickup so long as he can stay healthy and everyone can get along in their roles. Um, but him being able to play more in off the ball role, um, I think will really help. I mean, he's brought in for playmaking too, but this is a guy that shot 50, 40, 90 when he was in Milwaukee. So he's going to be getting clean looks, especially with guys like Tatum and Brown on the court that I think you should see is his numbers really improved last year from last year in percentages, probably not in points scored and stuff like that because of, you know, the talent that he's playing around now, but Percentage-wise, he should be much more efficient, and it's just someone that, they, that they've been missing, you know, another guy that can, you know, when the shot clock gets down, he can create a legit shot 
Um, and I think we saw that missing, you know, down the stretch in the playoffs where Tatum goes a little cold, Brown can't like dribble, you know, and it, you're missing that guy that can, you know, get a legit look at the end of the shot clock, you know, smart just isn't really that guy. He's more of a, just a catch and shoot. He's not, he's okay dribbling into the paint, but Brogdon's better at creating his own offense. And I think that that's going to be huge for them, you know, in crunch time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that another big part of it is that he's a very proficient shooter and he doesn't necessarily need the ball in his hands. Yes. He was the lead distributor, lead scorer for the Pacers, but that's because he had to, but he actually does better from catch and shoot threes than he does in off the dribble or from any other kind of three pointer in his career. He's actually made 42% of his catch and shoot three point attempts. All others, 32% for his career. He's 38% from three, but I think he's going to be able to complement these guys really well. I think that he provides another physical defender that is actually bigger for the guard position. So you're not the amount of defensive workload that you that you saw teams trying to attack Derek White or Peyton Pritchard. Uh, that won't be the case now with Malcolm Brogdon, assuming he does stay healthy, which has been an uphill battle for him ever since his rookie year. So it'll be crucial for them to kind of kind of find a way to keep these guys well-rested and off the injury report as much as possible. But I, I really do think that Brogdon fits the mold that the Celtics are building right now. And to get him at the price that they did, I think I'm 100% with you, Jonathan, an absolute steal. Mike, give me, what are your thoughts? What was your reaction to the Malcolm Brogdon trade? I loved it. I, I loved everything about it. I mean, they, there was nothing of value that they gave up in that trade. And they got a guy who a couple of years ago was averaging 25 and five. And I, I think he made an all-star team. Like it doesn't get better than that. I understand he was hurt last year. I understand that there is risk in any deal, but this is a pretty low risk trade for a proven NBA player that can be a star at a position of need. This is, this is perfect. Brad Stevens. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, just unbelievable. Danny Ainge would never have done something like this. And I'm not going to trash Danny because he got us the Jays. But I mean, good God, this is perfect. Brad understands what this roster needs. He's at every game. He, he watches the team. He understands its deficiencies. And he goes out and identifies a playmaking point guard who can, can really bolster the team and a bigger wing shooter who can come off the bench and give you six to eight points a night I, in Gallinari. I, I mean, this is... This is perfect for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I don't know if there's any more moves to be made for the Celtics. They will have to figure out how they want to fill out the back end of the roster. But I think the rotation is pretty much set, given that, A, your your eight-core, eight-man rotation from last year, it remains intact, unchanged, didn't have to give up any of those to facilitate the Brogdon trade. And you've got them all under contract for at least another year. And now you bring in Gallinari and you bring in Brockton. And now you're, you're 10 deep. You're definitely, you can go 10 deep and that should be able to, to help kind of keep guys fresh. You might see Al Horford 
kind of revert to the to the bench potentially play more minutes at center and kind of lessen the load on for both him and Robert Williams so that they are kind of fresh for the postseason because I think what we saw was the Celtics just got worn down and they they just couldn't figure things out towards the end of their NBA finals run. Ever since once they got up two games to one in that series, it just felt like the wheels just completely fell off when they had a chance to go up three, one at home and they blew it. And I think a a bit of a, of a reason for that was they, they were just kind of gassed and I, I think if you can add more depth and you don't have to give anything up for it uh, of consequence, that's uh, a, that's a huge win. So I, I'm with you boys. I, I think Brad Stevens has done an excellent job so far in terms of roster building so far, and he hasn't been afraid to give up a first rounder here or there and able to make it happen. And I think that's the biggest thing that you can take away from I, I don't know if Malcolm Brogdon will be the guy that puts this team over the top, but I think it's pretty dang close given what he is capable of. If you get a fully healthy version of him, maybe not for a full 82 game slate, but if you have him on, on firing on all cylinders for a potential playoff run, look out. I, I think that next year could be definitely huge for the Boston Celtics. I think that's uh that's all I had on my agenda. Are there any sort of any other kind of low key signings and free agency? Uh, we could talk about where we think DeAndre Ayton might end up, uh, or if he'll end up going back to Phoenix. He seems to be the only sort of big name guy left on the market. Uh, any other final thoughts from you guys? Um. I mean, there's the usual fuck Duke, but other than that, uh, I don't have any significant thoughts. Jonathan, you? No, nothing uh, nothing crazy. Just uh, the usual. I don't have any agenda against Duke, so I don't really <laughs> participate in that foul oh language gosh. like you guys do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you guys, keep me out of this. Yeah, you guys is in the other guests. All right. We? Nah, not we. You guys. All right. Well, before this show completely falls off the rails, uh, I think it is time to bid you all adieu. So for Lil Mike and Jonathan, we will see you next time on the next edition of Fixin' to Talk Sports.